0: you are listening to the spectral skull session tales from the twilight world of myth mystery and imagination the idea behind this podcast is that we explore claims about the occult supernatural and paranormal from an analytical standpoint we're open to the existence of a world beyond the five senses and we dismiss that dogmatic skepticism that insists that any story about the unexplained has to reduce to hallucinations or swamp gas. But we're not committed to any particular theory or philosophy about what the paranormal is, and we realize that whatever is out there, the answer is likely to be more complicated than any existing model or theory. What we bring to the table is small s skepticism, A skepticism that we throw as much on the mainstream accounts as we do on the supernatural story. Okay, let's get started.
1: Do you ever have this problem? You're getting ready for a long walk in the woods and you want to roll a spliff of smokable herb. You've got your herb in the bathroom. You're rooting around in your toiletries kit for medical scissors so you can chop it up nice and fine but then you have to go get a plate from the kitchen. When you're all done, it's a mess. You've got herbs all over the bathroom, your hands smell like herb, you've got to wash all this stuff and put it back. It takes forever to get out the door. You're not vibing. You got to light that spliff up before you can feel at peace. Ugh. Luckily, Happy Trees has the solution. A premium grade stash box from Happy Trees. That's happytreessupplies.com. Happy tree sells a convenient lockable stash box. It comes with a four-piece titanium grinder that will give you the smooth grind you've been looking for. The 50 diamond cut teeth grinds your herb to the perfect size for cones and rolls. The neodominium magnets keep the lid on tight while you grind. There's also a stash jar, which will protect your herb from damaging UV rays and keep moisture in so your stash stays fresh. The airtight seal helps keep smells inside so you can save them for yourself. There's also a metal rolling tray so you can save every precious bud. And everything fits snugly into the box, plus it has a key so your nosy roommate or your little brother isn't poking around in your stash. They come in three varieties. There's the Metatron's Cube themed box that has Metatron's Cube etched on the box and every accessory. Metatron's Cube is a sacred image associated with the angel who translates the directives of God into a form comprehensible to humans. This is according to the Kabbalah. There's also a Desert Visions themed box. It has colorful desert scenes painted onto the accessories. And for those of you who prefer plain, there's a box made of bamboo that is just adorable. I have my own Happy Tree stash box. Yes, I use it to hold my stash. I absolutely love it. These boxes range from 38.90 to 28.90 on the website. HappyTreesSupplies.com, but now Happy Trees is offering a special deal to anyone who listens to this show. Use the coupon code SPECTRAL20 for a 20% discount. What are you waiting for? Skip the mess, get organized, and preserve your stash from degrading ultraviolet light and snoopy little thieves who try to make off with your herb. Check out HappyTreesSupplies.com. That's HappyTreesSupplies.com. Hello, and welcome back to the Spectral Skull Session. I am your host, Dane. Today is the second part of my interview with Dick Kahn, author of DMT and My Occult Mind. In this episode, we get deeper into the details of Kahn's encounters with the creatures, the beings, the entities that he experienced during his experiments. And we talk about the philosophical influences on Kahn's work where he anticipates it heading in the future. So, did you did you ever ask yourself, you know, as as as, as complex as this hallucination is? How do I know that it's not just coming from me? Like,
2: Because, okay, so, because of the repeated experiences, hmm. you start to become familiar to some degree with, with the unbelievable energies that emanate from you. And you start to have this, you start to de- develop a, begin to appreciate that that energy that ma- manifests from you, it has a, a perceptive capacity, as I say, and you start to, you can start to feel, okay, the entity's in the room now. Even though I'm still on my second dose, so I can pull, I can feel the entity's there. You know, I can feel it, and it's watching me, and you start to take the third, layback, lay back, and then it, it, it's there, it, it, it's on you. So it's developing the perceptive capacity of, of your own sort of psycho, spiritual output but more than that it's i mean going back to the example that i saw and you know you start to say, well okay you are seeing the consensual reality of the bedroom but you're actually hallucinating this being that's moving like a, it's peeled itself from the walls you say and, and now it's moving like a, a rayfish through the, the door now you you, you gotta understand that that could be a hallucination. Well, I struggle with that because, as I say with DMT, you, you, by and large, you're in your rational senses. You know, I'm seeing the window, I'm seeing the trees through the way, I'm seeing the walls, I'm seeing all the contents of the bedroom, but because of my heightened perception, my aided perception, my aided vision, I'm also seeing this being that's that's just been interacting with me. So. Other people can, I don't know, I i, I, I mean, if other people say no, you, you're seeing things, you're seeing illusions, I'm not going to get upset. It, it's one of those things like, I know what I saw, you know, I, I, I've been outside and seen, you know, way beyond this. So, I don't know, I mean, I can't prove it, but i got to be honest, as much as I like writing, I don't have the capacity of imagination to make any of this up. So I'm, I'm speaking, I'm researching and writing from a, a platform of, of honesty. I've taken no literary license whatsoever. I just say, look, this is what happened. This is what I saw. These are the arguments I'm making. By the way, there's a whole other body of global literature that speaks about, you know, um, hidden beings, angels, demons, gin, blah, 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 you know throughout every country from time immemorial, maybe there's something here.
1: Very good. That's very interesting. So one of the things you're saying is that um, metaphysically, so assumption in terms of your assumptions about reality, you do start where theosophy and other occult traditions leave off. And you're confident in starting there because of the sheer vividness of the experiences and then you're also saying that there's a an inter-trip consistency that like when you smoke different times the, the the entities are similar they're consistent in a way that you wouldn't expect if it was just a random hallucination coming from your brain am i capturing yeah that I, th-
2: I, th- I think you're capturing that really well so i tell you what by by way of example we started the conversation talking about my my tinnitus and you know uh, even now I can hear it as this, this um, intensity and this frequency, you know, it's, it's very muted. Um, uh, if I was to smoke a little bit of DMT, you know, it, it would increase in intensity and frequency. If I, if I try for a breakthrough dose, it's really powerfully going to increase in intensity and frequency and the room or, or, or the outdoor locals going to fill with this. this you know, mind stuff, this psycho-spiritual substance, you know, that that serves as a signal to these entities. So cue the entity. The entity's arrived. And when it begins to impose its power, it has this same intensity and frequency of my tinnitus, but I'm talking many, many, many magnitudes higher than anything my mind can impose. Can, can can generate many times higher and and this is what's in my in my argument in my experience in my arguments this is what's causing the um the breakthrough into hyperspace the the entity is and I choose this this word from occult literature uh, from mesmerism the entity is, is mesmerically overpowering the user with its its it's its willpower you know it's it's imposing powerfully upon the user in such a manner that the user's instantly fascinated to the extent it looks like you're in another world, but you're not, you're you're engulfed within the mind of this powerful being that's imposing whatever visual fancies it it wants to impose upon you, whether it's aliens, jesters, clowns, dragons, blah, 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 whatever. So I've never paid much heed to the uh the imagery to what i'm seeing i was more interested in what's behind that imagery where's that imagery coming from that that's where my research led so the, the the main point from that is that that power that you 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 sense it or audibly but you sense it within and without because you your your own psycho spiritual substance is amplified from you you feel and hear that immense power from the entity you feel it throughout the room you feel it within you i mean i've had experiences where you i can even feel the entity above the roof of the house you know when you've had some pretty mighty entity let, let, let's take another example I've, I've had experiences in the bedroom where that power is imposed to such an extent that the, the, the entity's fixed its, on the walls, and and these are, they're not brick walls, these are uh, lath and plaster, you know, I live in an old house, lath and plaster walls and the emphasis you can feel and hear it forcing itself throughout the room and forcing itself into me, and the walls have flexed and creaked and groaned only subtly, I'm not saying Mm. it's, you know, but as that, in proportion to the power that you feel being exercised, you can hear the walls flexing and creaking and groaning as it drives itself into you. I mean, you know, I, I, I've said it on other podcasts, and I'll say it here, you know, I, I've had experience where the entity has done that. It, it's secured its otherworldly purchase on under bed, the bedroom, and then it has vibrated like a washing machine on its final spin cycle, and the bedroom has vibrated like an earth tremor for just like five ten
1: seconds, but. Terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Do you think these vibrations are palpable in consensus reality? Has your wife or any third party so, observer so, felt them?
2: So when, when that first happened, I really did worry that my... We live in a semi-detached house. I worried that my neighbour would have, have felt them and, and wondered what the hell is going on. Um, so I've had another experience like that. and. and The room vibrated I'm I'm clear about that and my wife was downstairs in the other room and I went and asked her did did you hear anything did you feel anything?" and she said not so you know I I have to be honest I'm not gonna embellish the story and say yeah she she didn't hear it that's that's the truth
1: that's very good thank you I appreciate your commitment to honesty and the truth so uh, can I go back then to questions about how uh, your research ties back to historical occult research because you said that you're jumping off of theosophy and you mentioned Mesmer. And that ties back into my interest in, um, in reading your book. I saw parallels between what you're describing and what the 19th and 20th century spiritualists described. So if I could just read you a quote, this is actually from a, a survey of some of the ectoplasmic researchers from the 20th century. This is uh, Daniel Matheson, and he's just summarizing. He says, you know, this is a view that the some of the people who are doing seances hold. They believe that in simplest term, the human body emits a form of energy, a psychic fluid, if you will. This energy surrounds the body with an unseen seeth, what has been called an aura. It can be extruded beyond the borders of this aura. It can create mechanical, chemical, and physical effects, percussions, odors, movements of external objects, And then another person from that school, Mina Crandon, born in 1888 and died in 1941, she was a medium who frequently described energy tendrils that would emanate from her body and they would interact with the physical world. They would become palpable, audible, visual, even photogenic. Does that sound like the same kinds of things that you're experiencing on DMT? Uh, When you talk about psycho-spiritual mind stuff bubbling out of you, is it like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with these ectoplasmic experiences the mediums described yes yeah
2: yeah yeah i i would i mean you know i'd say these experiences are apparently devoid of any entity interaction but yeah i mean these are fascinating quotes and i mean it's remarkable to consider that some individuals may have the natural capacity to to be able to manifest these emanations without recourse to powerful psychedelics i know i couldn't but i mean if these are true and having seen what i've seen on dmt i'm more minded to believe that there were some individuals who possibly could make this manifest then yeah i think i think it's the same thing i think it's it's this this psycho psychic fluid this this astral fluid and and you know however it works in in the brain, the pineal region of the brain, it would seem, DMT can uh, really o- o- unleash this. And I think I'd mentioned earlier, you know, it, there's a bountiful amount of this substance within us. I mean, by way of example, and 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 what stood out with this was not just the amount of stuff pouring out of me, but. The fact that I was in such a rational mindset, it's like we could have had this conversation with me laid on the ground. I smoked DMT, I had no idea what was gonna happen. And this, I mean, I can see consensus reality, I can see the shed, the apple tree, the fence, blah, blah, blah. But this spiral of dense, super dense, transparent, psycho-spiritual substance, it just spiraled out of me like a torrent. And it was filled with, you know, geometric shapes. And we could have had a conversation like we're having now, but this stuff was just spiralling out of me way into the sky. And I, I was just astonished that there could be so much, you know, immaterial stuff. We can call it psychic fluid. So much of that, you know, spilling out of me, streaming out of me. I was shocked. So these nineteenth and twentieth century quotes from spiritualism, you know, I, I, I know, I know that era was also troubled with a lot of charlatans, you know, the, a mm. lot of um, quacks. But I think, for, from my understanding, from my my research, there was uh, the there was a, a genuine phenomena there, albeit, you know, because it couldn't be reproduced for some of the scientists, they they pooed it and dismissed it, but. You know, yeah I think you know it, it concurs with my own finding that there's there's something within us that you know uh, can emanate far beyond its ordinary baseline state i mean i mean i mean and and to take my uh, experience in in the garden further and I've had several like that you know you're then in a a position where it, it slows eventually it stops and it all seems to Collapse is the wrong word, but it slowly comes back down to you, but in a, in a, a more diaphanous state. And this is, this is just a subtle observation, but I'd mentioned earlier about the uncommon density of that substance. And and as it's coming down into your head, you can actually feel the skin on your face. The skin on your face feels like really tight, like all your pores are tightened up really tight. And I think that's just... Uh, a perceptive aspect of of your skin sort of perceiving this 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 super dense psychic fluid that, that's of your own constitution slowly coming back to a baseline state over i don't know 20 minutes half an hour until you really then struggling to see it visibly but you know um, i think within an hour you're pretty much
1: back to baseline oh, okay so it, it, the peaks within about 20 minutes you're saying the experience... Um, to... the,
2: the, the, the outpouring is very quick within a matter of minutes, but the return is very slow. The, the sort of return of that substance mm. of baseline is very slow. So this is not a breakthrough experience. You know, I, I have no idea what's going to happen when I smoke it. I smoke it, I'm expecting an entity's is going to respond, but on this occasion, no, it was just an unbelievable, bountiful outpouring of my own psychic fluid, let's call it, spiralling out of me in uh just a, a torrent and again you know I can see the airplanes in the sky the birds the house the trees blah, blah blah so you know somebody to come and say oh everything else you see is a consensus reality but that thing that you see that's a hallucination I you know I let we have to part ways at that because you know okay I respect your opinion to hold I respect your your opinion and your right to hold it but look, I, this, is, this is what I've, I found, I mean, you know, if, if you want to determine the matter for yourself, here's a pipe with some DMT, good luck.
1: Yeah, very good. That's consensus reality is just the reality we share. Yeah. So if DMT users are sharing that reality, there's a kind of consensus among them. Yeah. And have you read other researchers into DMT who are describing these kinds of entity experiences? So, uh, through social media, I,
2: I have people who, who come and they'll say, can you, can you throw, shed some light on this experience? And, and most of them are visual experiences. So I, as I say, I, I don't try and interpret the visual content of the uh, experiences, but I have shared with, with people who've asked my opinion as to what's causing those visual experiences. And, and by and large, most people come back and they'll say, wow, that that's awesome, you know that's incredible. I, you've given me a whole new perspective on on these experiences. I think we've very vaguely touched on the invasive aspect, where the entity can be operational within the your oral ca- cavity. I think you've got a question about it being in your brain. So there's that. Inv- so I've had a few people come and, and and they've said, look, you know, can't believe it. You know, the thing was inside me, and I said, yep, okay. I, You're not alone, I've experienced that and I'll explain, in my opinion, what's happening again. They're like, wow, that's a really awesome perspective, thank you very much. The one thing that nobody yet has come to me with is what I've called the sort of um, the revelatory experiences and I don't mean revelatory in the sort of biblical sense that I'm getting divine, direct divine, you know, information, but um, smoke outside. Your own psychic fluid, you know, rapidly projects bubble like or hemispherically like out into the sky. And then uh, an entity will manifest above me in the garden and uh, just incredible. Just like um, the best way to imagine it is like a, a vastly oversized, multifaceted diamond ex- exhibiting, you know, countless uh, geometrically precise. Uh, symmetric, you know, lozenge-like cells. I mean, j- just like a beautiful creature of hidden nature exuding this tremendous power. And I, out of all my experiences, these represent, for me, uh, sort of a triumph. Because this is they that impose these vision, these visual experiences, the hallucinator experience. This is they who manipulate the mind, do operating, do all these wonderful tricks. Now I'm not saying that that appearance is their true form in whatever realm they're in, but to see something like that, so beautiful, wow. And in, in, again, in otherwise consensus reality, blows, just blows me away. Um, and I've never really, I've, nobody's ever come and said, I saw this thing and I got to describe it to you. And I've only ever come across a similar account once. And this was long before I tried DMT, and I was reading about um, Uf, UFOlogy and and some did I think, that's somebody in this country thing, sort of come over a hill and and you know describe this this being that kind of is in accord with these things that I've seen. So um, yeah, yeah.
1: So, do I understand, correctly, You're saying other people in the DMT community are describing to you things that superficially are different they like different visualizations maybe different looking creatures but there's a common theme of being invaded and having the bean manipulate you
2: no I, I think we've gone off track there so oh, okay uh, that's okay let me try and because um, I think I I think I' tried to address this in one of your questions so y- you'd ask me to describe in my own words a typical encounter with these entities and, yeah. and what are the recurring features of the experience and i would made some notes so I'll refer to those now Wonderful. and yeah, and, and I, I, I go and say I'll describe a typical visual encounter with an entity I Commonly referred to as a, a breakthrough into hyperspace because this will outline the medical metaphysical mechanics behind the typical DMT experience now a visual encounter is distinct from an invasive encounter, encounter, distinct from a psychically manipulative encounter, distinct from any paraphysical or quasi-physical component, and distinct from any audible component, and distinct from a, a, a revelatory encounter, which I've just exemplified. But by the way, uh, an entity encounter can include one, more, or all of those. And just, I've already clarified by revelatory encounter, I don't mean in the the biblical sense. Um, Right, (laughs) so uh, I've got the, I've made this, I've wrote wrote this out, so it's a typical visual encounter. I don't know if this is gonna work, but I've kind of written it in the third person, so I'm gonna read it in the third person. Hopefully it'll work for for you and the listeners. So, in an indoor setting, Dick sits up up upon the floor and inhales the first of three hits of DMT vapor from a glass pipe. His persistent tinnitus quickly increases in both intensity and frequency. During the second pull, he observes the room has become awash with a transparent and uniformly turbulent, highly energetic, uncommon medium, projecting from his own being. His tinnitus continues to increase significantly. As he begins the third and final inhalation, he is able to palpably perceive the arrival of the entity in the midst of the room. Dick holds the vapour deep within his lungs and observes the volume of the room filled with turbulent, transparent energy. He knows the entity is watching him and waiting, and he suspects the entity knows full well what practice he is engaged in. Upon reclining into a supine position and exhaling the superfluous vapour, the entity willfully and powerfully begins to impose itself. This is evident to Dick as a very much greater audible magnitude of intensity than his own tinnitus, an audible intensity that is also palpably perceived by Dick by virtue of the sensing capacity of his own powerfully projected medium. The entity willfully increases the frequency of its otherworldly constitution Many magnitudes of order beyond Dick's human level of audible tinnitus, all occurring within a fast-paced sequence, mere seconds shy of near instantaneous. And that is it, Dick is now deeply immersed in a mesmerized state of mind and is apparently within another reality, a reality that looks phenomenally more real than ordinary everyday terrestrial reality a reality that is ever morphing and changing with the foreground melding into the background and the background melding into the foreground. Dick observes this strange otherworldly environment is occupied. There are strange two-dimensional human-like beings whose faces appear to be masked. There are clowns and jesters and circus performers. Dick is the center of their attention. They all display great happiness and joy at his presence. They move in a peculiar manner. An impossible object moves in an impossible manner. Dick's mind is working flat out just to keep up with their simple and yet oddly playful and mischievous shenanigans. The immersion into this world is so mesmerically magical Dick wishes he could remain here forever. And then, unexpectedly and certainly against his wishes, Dick is suddenly back where he began, having seemingly exited that world in a manner that made it appear that he was gently spat out. So that's that's what I would describe as a, as a typical... Uh, visual experience a typical entity breakthrough that's a sort of typical breakthrough experience into hyperspace but what i found is the more that you pursue dmt the stranger it becomes and other aspects of the experience became apparent such as this the entities operating invasively i mentioned about the sealing up of my my lips and my nose you've referred to uh the uh, Doing something in my brain, so this is the invasive aspect of the entity it can also produce audible hallucinations, uh, can manipulate you uh, psychically, which again sounds troublesome, but this could be something such as inducing you to ecstatic outbursts of laughter and I, I remember I think the first time I experienced that I'd smoked DMT and I was la- I didn't know human beings would laugh. Like that, I, you know. I, I've had MDMA ecstasy, but th- this this was true ecstasy. Uh, but it, it was apparent that this outburst of ecstasy was resulting from something that was darting into a particular portion of my psyche. It felt like a portion of my head, and every time it darted in there, I was just, you know, induced to excuse me this ecstatic outburst, and then it would pull away. I'd try and compose and then it was back in and, and you know so that that's an example of the, the psychic manipulation
1: which I'm referring to okay psychic. so can, can I can we hold on one second um, while you were reading and was an excellent reading and I really wanted to get it on tape without interrupting but uh, I had a power problem. And I had to I, switch power yeah, cords. Yeah, I, I
2: heard something going on, but I didn't sorry. want to look. Sorry, yeah, sorry, right, no the problem. The sound
1: engineer will be able to cut my end, but I just want to make sure that we're, you're hearing me and I, okay. And I, yeah. I, I, gotta fix this power cord uh, too. I'm just really glad we didn't lose the computer. Okay, good. Do I? Am I back to? Am I sounding okay now? Yeah, sounds great. Very good. So. I guess what to sum up that line of that line of exchange was that um, you're having experiences that are in, have a wide variety of different dimensions to them. There's so sometimes visual, palpable. You talk about invasive, and um, the content of the experiences is idiosyncratic to you. You have these things, and you're not seeing a lot of overlap between what other people who are DMT experiencers report
2: no i i I don't think that my experiences are any different, and I know that was one of oh. your questions i um i i think I think the point is that i'm I'm not paying too much heed to the content of the visions. I'm more interested in what's causing those visions and what just to backtrack a little bit what I found because you said there are different uh dimensions to make speech I'll just say i I would say that the experiences for me have changed subtly but significantly over time. And, um, and what I found is that it's almost as though there's a, a, a progressive, gradual, initiatory aspect at play. So if those invasive experiences had been my first, there's no way I would have pursued DMCA. I would have been too frightened mm. Yeah. But it's like they brought me along, they brought me along. And the, the first time that I experienced the invasive encounter, I cried my eyes out afterwards because it's very... I mean, it's invasive. It's... it's, And you, you, you cry... I mean, I cried out. You can't do that, you know. It's in my oral physiology and... Uh... You know, I cried and my wife heard me um, crying and uh, I came down and, and she asked if I was okay and I thought I was okay. And sat on the sofa and again just, just burst into tears. Uh, but since, since, since that uh, and progressing, that invasive aspect then became the sort of the commonplace aspect. It's like the invasive element took over from the sort of visual element. So I'd had these wonderful visual experiences, and, and, and it's almost like I was led to it because I'd had two or three experiences that, that were the same, you know, it's a breakthrough experience. It looks like I've gone to another world, it's, it's incredibly highly defined, there's human-like entities there, and I'd experienced once, and then next day or a couple of days later, same experience, you know, same environment, same human-like entities in this environment. Third day or or whenever next exactly the same, and I stupidly thought they're repeating themselves. Maybe maybe there's nothing else. You know, I stupidly thought maybe there's nothing else they can show me. And then the next experience was the invasive experience, and uh, as I say, I cried twice, and um, you know pursued it, pursued it. DMT, beyond that, and the invasive aspect, then sort of became the sort of the common theme, the theme of of, of the experiences. You know, I get these invasive aspects to the experience, and again, you know, uh, if you want to pursue this line of research, you you've got, it's true. like Terence McKenna said, you've got to have your wits about you. But I think you you've also got to You got to be in a position where you can as much as you have your wits about you you're able to submit yourself and i think you need to invest trust in these entities if you're not going to do that they ain't going to show you anything because you're going to be too frightened you 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 know so you've really got to put
1: your trust in these things what can can i just get clear that uh you do think that they're teaching you something through the palpable invasion of your body, so when they, when they come into you like your larynx, you say, or there's one, a couple experiments where you describe them uh, like tattooing. It's like a tattooing sensation inside your arm. And in both places, it seems like you say that you felt like they're preparing you or teaching you or programming you. Do you still think that? So,
2: don't think they're giving any lessons like you get at school where you come away with fixed knowledge so with the invasive experiences no i I don't think that they're teaching me anything other than that we have got this capacity to to do this in our interactions with dmt users and i don't know I, i mean i i i have suspected and bought into the suspicion that these beings know that i am i'm writing documenting and and planning to publish and I've now published you know as I said earlier I made that as clear as I could so I have wondered whether I was purposefully given a a range of experiences on that basis but no I don't think they were teaching me anything I think they're just saying check what we can do and they have got a, a whole heap of tricks so in one of your other questions I've made some notes, because I think you'd said that my experience has seemed different to other people's, and no I, I don't think they do at all. So I think you'd said that the, um, the sense of transport to another realm is missing, well no I don't think it is, I just think I'm interpreting what other people are experiencing the same as me very differently, so by way of example. I, I smoke a dose of DMT in the bedroom, three hits, lay back, bang, the entity's on me. And it looks like I have gone to another world. It seems I'm in this futuristic factory. I don't see any of my bedroom. I'm in this wonderfully highly defined futuristic factory. Not only that, I am on a conveyor belt and it's without question, I am somehow moving. So we've got two options here, maybe more, but let, let's stick with two for simplicity. Either I have vacated my body and somehow find myself in a futuristic factory, doesn't matter where, but within this factory I'm laid on a conveyor belt and, and I am, there's no way, of, no doubt I'm moving. So either that's true or uh, another way of looking at it is I've smoked DMT, something very powerful from the Unseen Realms. As uh, mesmerically imposed upon me and made it appear that I'm in this futuristic factory. And by virtue of its very powerful constitution, it is now beneath my back operating in a quasi-physical manner, sending ripples beneath my back from within its own body, within its own volume of mind. And it's creating this fantastic illusion of motion. And um, yeah, I mean, I've had enough experiences to say, well, this is what's happening. It's not that I'm going somewhere else, but something's coming to me. And because of the inherent powers within its constitution, it can not only make it look that I'm in another world, a futuristic factory in this uh, example, but it can also make it convincingly seem that I'm on a a conveyor belt moving, but I'm not. This, this, this uber-powerful entity is sending a sequence of consistent ripples beneath my back, beneath the back of my legs and creating this extremely convincing illusion that I am in motion but it is an illusion, a very convincing illusion but an illusion nevertheless and that's for me being a large part of, funny is the wrong word, but a, a really intellectually intriguing aspect of my research, trying to fit, trying to work out what's at play and fit it into this hypothesis, this this framework I've got. And forgive me, I'm just gonna say, it, I think I've done pretty well. I mean, if other people wanna say, okay, yeah, I smoke DMT, but I did go to a futuristic factory and I was on a conveyor belt, I'm cool with that. But I think it's more, Likely that the truth is that something responded to your DMT amplified signal and imposed upon you visually and beneath you in a, a sort of paraphysical manner and created a wonderfully convincing illusion of motion, but it was an illusion. I mean, these mm. entities, they have their bag of tricks is, I, I gotta say, probably limitless. You know, I don't, I, I mean, I, I that I'm not I'm not here saying I'm the alpha male of, of DMT or the psychedelic world, far from it I'm just saying I've I've experienced quite a lot I've thrown some pretty original pretty original analysis on it but even with all that I still don't feel like I've scratched the surface
1: yeah yeah so are you saying that you uh... You're, you are having breakthrough visual experiences, but that you are, in your in your book, you just don't emphasize this. You're emphasizing what you think is going on under the surface, which is the occult entities. And that's something that you had to, like, you had to learn to be able to pay attention to that part and not get swept away by the visualizations. So um, you'd asked
2: a um, specific question about this, yeah. and I think I'd made some
3: notes. Oh, okay, let me try and find those. Sorry, it was
1: question uh, six in the list. Okay, thank you. Yeah, we've been skipping around, I apologize. No, no, that. that's, that's, okay. that's okay. That's
2: a All right, okay, yeah. So the, the notes I made here were, you know, I, I, I said as much, but I'll repeat, I don't consider my DMT experiences are substantially different from the experiences of other people but i do believe terms like breakthrough waiting room and hyperspace as as it pertains to dmt inebriation they become part of the accepted parlance without any real questioning as to what those terms may actually mean so you know the breakthrough experience is it looks like you've gone to another world but my argument is contrary to what other people say they may say i left my body and i i went somewhere now i'm saying What's actually happened is, with the the typical breakthrough experience, something's come to you, it's engulfed you within the volume of its mind, it's imposed upon you powerfully and mesmerically, and made it look like you've gone to another world. Because I've been to those worlds many times, and, you know, through going, having those experiences, the breakthrough experience is something breaking through into this dimension, and imposing upon the human. It's not the human breaking out of the terrestrial dimension and breaking into somewhere else. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen and I'm not saying it can, I'm just being honest about my research. And I, I will say that I think by far, the majority of what people consider to be a breakthrough experience, it's actually them being engulfed within the mind of a powerful entity that's imposing upon them so wonderfully visually that it, it do, and I've I, i, I I've been I, I know it looks like you've gone to another realm but I pursued the experience time and time again to try and work, I didn't know what was happening I thought where am I, I, I it looks like I've gone somewhere else but I, I pursued experiences and it looks like you're in another realm but then slowly the um, experience will start to dissolve and diminish and you start to see within that environment sort of pockets of H- holes start to open up, and you start to see your bedroom. So that's the argument I'm making.
1: I see. Yeah. Um, with experience, you develop the ability to discern between the aspects of the DMT trip that are real and those that are illusory. I th- I'm not. Sh- no. Um.
2: It depends. On what you mean by illusory? I mean. Uh,
1: no, I didn't really follow that. Oh, well, just because I'm just trying to understand why you think that the experience of being transported to another world isn't real, but the experience of psycho-spiritual no. mind stuff is.
2: Yeah, so like, I would say, I would say the experience of feeling that you're being transported to another realm is real, as I've said okay. with the example of the conveyor belt, and it was a limited example, but I mean these beings can can and do operate in a way that the the fluid nature of their own volume of mind can interact with the fluid volume of the user's own psycho-spiritual fluid, that it can make it feel that there's this aspect of motion. Let's give another example. I've been in the garden and, and, and smoked and I, I, I've, I've put so much of my own um, Psychic fluid outside of myself—that something's had to come and, and mother me, look after me, because I've, I've projected so much, and I'm—it's uh, like I've, I've previously mentioned that you know, for the majority of times with DMT, you're in your you retain your rational senses, but when you put so much of that psychic fluid outside yourself, then you, you don't retain your rational senses, and something had to come and, and mother me. And as part of that mothering process, looking after me while my psychic fluid returned to baseline, I, I don't know. It felt like I was gliding, like like floating on my back, like moving. And I wasn't. It was convincing, and it carried on. And Kay was beautiful. And I, um, as my senses started to return, I, I I I could. I don't know. how I worked it out, but I. I I know it's the, because I'm seeing consensual reality, I'm seeing the garden filled with this mind stuff of my own and this entity, and it's in a sort of conveyor-like manner beneath me, creating this motion that makes it feel like I'm floating on a, like flying almost, but I'm not. It's an illusion, it's a very convincing illusion. So the point I'm trying to make is the, the, the capacity of these powerful entities is sufficient to create that illusion of transportation. That's the point I'm trying to make. And it is an illusion, it's a very convincing illusion. I mean, anybody wants to say, Dick, you're wrong, you know, the breakthrough experience that the majority of the people are experiencing is they are exiting their body and they are going directly into the spiritual realms. I'm, I'm saying it's not that, you know, I'm not saying it can happen, but I'm saying, I think if I was pushed, I'd probably say, you know, DMT is a forced mystical experience, you're forcing a mystical experience on, on you, it, it it doesn't grant you access to the heavenly realms just like that, I don't buy that, I, I think we'll all get there eventually, but, you know, uh my chakra health my karmic balances i i would believe very far from uh, allowing me anywhere near into heaven proper you know i suggest but i mean uh, you know e- even the arguments that i'm making that the breakthrough experience is not the human in the terrestrial realm but something powerful um entering this realm and imposing upon the human still wonderfully fantastic arguments that, that you know, um, I believe will, I'm not, I'm not saying me solo, but, but such arguments can and will change the, the Western mindset, you know, the Western culture and eventually um, science is going to have to wrestle with these thorny questions, you know, why are people reporting these experiences? Uh, what's at play? And I think one of the um, one of my favorite ufological authors trevor james constable i think he said something like you know the the occultism of today is the science of tomorrow mm. and, and 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 you know I, i'm i say it cautiously cuz i know there's some psychedelic scientists out there doing you know genuinely valid scientific work but i think with with this with dmt and the experiences therefrom, from there's going to have to be a a knowledge of the immeasurable, and, and that's pretty much a, a very basic definition of sort of the occult, you know, it's a knowledge of the immeasurable. Just because you can't catch something in a jam jar, just because you can't measure something, doesn't mean it's not part and parcel of nature and shouldn't be investigated. And um, yeah, that's. I guess that's where I'm headed.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems like you have um, two of the hallmarks of scientific, um scientific uh i guess the found you have two of the foundational things you need for for a science right so you've got repeatability because when you do the experience over and over you have similar things happen to you and then you have consensus or shared experience because other people have similar things and um i think dennis mckenna once said right like what we have that the ufo people don't have is repeatability he was talking about DMT, right? The idea was that's why this is more of a science than that other occult field. So um, where do you think that the field could go in the future? Like, what do you think are the next, what are the big questions that um, researchers in the occult in using DMT need to be asking in order to move the field forward? You know, I think it's um,
2: Dr. Strassman and Dr. Andrew Gallimore. Um, I think they produce this uh, machine that can. I think it's what's what called extended state DMT machine. Where it, they've got the patent for it, but it's basically so it's, it's a medical machine that can deliver um, a consistent um, dose of DMT to a user that, that's going to create this uh, extended state, which is probably deeper, further, longer, and uh, you know I think I think that's great, but. I'm not sure I buy into the opinion that that approach will give us the answers that we seek, especially when we're still at the data collection stage of this fantastic mystery, when we still don't have consensus opinion as to what the smoked DMT experience is, is you know, what, what's, what's taking place there, what the ayahuasca experiences you know this this notion that if we go deeper further higher longer it will furnish us with the the questions we seek uh, no I, I don't buy that i think we we i, th- I think you know t- to get to that point i think we need to have some consensus agreement among experienced adherents such as myself as to what's actually taking place and i think that's probably a really good sort of foundation to build on but to kind of like you know consider that um, people who are smoking it and giving a cult analysis are kind of like of the wook ilk I, I don't think that's uh, that I don't think that's the way forward I think you know everybody's opinion is valid and as I say it's it's trying to sort of get a, an agreement among adherents as to what's actually taking place and, and sort of shape the language around that. That's but we're a long way from that. I think we're still very much at the data collection stage, but mm. cle- clearly, it's um, it's a substances and experiences that's growing hugely in um, you know, I mean people people want it. I mean.
1: Mm. What kinds of questions, uh, do you want to explore? Where do you see your research taking you in the, in the future? Oh shoot. We just lost him. Can you still hear me? Dick, I can, he- I can hear myself, but I can't hear you. Okay, good. Sorry about that. That's no problem. I had, we we're having all kinds of things. This is just gonna be what happens with technology. <laughs> it's never gonna be perfect.
3: Okay. Where were we? We were, we were somewhere.
1: I was asking you about what you wanna do next with your research. Oh, So where yeah. do you see yourself going in the near future?
3: Yeah, so the the plan was always to publish uh, three books in this this series, the DMT and My Cult Mind series. So we're up to two. So DMT and My Cult Mind three is 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 in the works. And in terms of practical research towards that, um, I'll be documenting just a few ayahuasca experiences. I'll be documenting some research into the very powerful toad medicine, five meo DMT, which I'm I'm presently. Uh, pursuing, um, and hopefully be able to um, pursue some more free based DMT and NDMT experiences uh, for ACODMT DMT, which I think is synthetic psilocybin. But but more than that, I don't just I, I don't want it to just be um, you know a bibliography of uh, psychedelic experiences. I really want to try and dig into the. Uh, question as to who the dmt tmt entities are obviously you know there's a whole host of esoteric and occult literature out there and slowly digging my way through it and uh you know the old stuff some of the new stuff and occasionally finding you know hidden treasures and gems so i really want to try and address that question i'm not sure i'll be able to you know i'm not saying i i will nail it but i hope i can produce something that that is engaging and you know, fun and, uh, you know, interesting to read. So that's where I'm at.
1: That's very, very promising. Um, any, can you give us a little hint about uh, who are the occult researchers? What's the occult literature that you're most uh, interested in
3: right now? Uh, do you know, I, I've, I've looked at so many of the old books on mesmerism Mm. and i'd love to say that they're wonderful but they are oh they are hard work and there's very little in them there's there's one or two quotable gems in there so i've i've gone through a lot of that I, I, it's not just book um research i'm looking at a lot of you know through Scribid, i'm looking at a lot of documents and there's some real gems on there so I'm, I'm trying to reference everything. I'm, I'm looking at some mainstream stuff on hallucinations. That's that's really interesting. But, I mean, with the, the esoteric and occult literature, literature, I mean, not only the books, but the sort of documents and the articles, there's such a wealth of information on there. So I'm having to be really uh, sort of... I'm having to cull a lot of the stuff and just say, right, I'm, I'm going to look at this, this and this, because otherwise I'm just going to end up with too much stuff to, to go through so uh, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying that and um, I really look forward to sort of bringing it all together but it's an immense amount of work I'm not complaining I really enjoy it but it's, uh, it's a long way from completion um, I also want to try and get these onto um, Audible and okay. pe- yeah a lot of people have asked me am I going to get my books onto Audible and um, yeah I want to do that um, you know, I know I can do it because I've I've you know, a friend has gifted me uh loaned me a really excellent microphone. I've tested the uh you know, the noise floor, etc., and I know I can meet the the sort of standards for Audible. It's just that one hour's recording is six hours editing and that's a lot of time. And I kind of I was I was gonna do it yeah, you know, I was gonna get the books done, but I thought, you know what, let me get that third book done because if it takes ages to get the books onto Audible I might just find that I no longer have the sort of capacity to, you know, pursue these powerful, life-changing psychedelic experiences. So, while my candle's still burning bright, I thought let me try and pursue those and get that third book done. Very good, Dick. What is the best
1: way for the audience to get a hold of your books right now?
3: And because I self-publish through KDP Publishing, they're only available through Amazon. Unless you know people want to come to me sometimes. People come to me for a signed copy, and i 'm happy to do that, but obviously I have to add shipping costs from the u k but you know it 's really nice when people ask for that and um, you know, uh, but otherwise, yeah, it's just through amazon i 'm afraid
1: oh, okay, you can get you could get a paper copy if they write you, is that what you 're saying?
3: Yeah, yeah, I, oh, wow. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.'m happy to send you know signed copies out i 've sent quite a few it 's yeah. really rewarding, you know I, I love thinking of something t- to write in there you know as a dedication. And, you know, it's uh, reassuring that each one I've sent has found its destination, whether it's America, Canada, uh, Australia, New Zealand, you know, wherever, you know, UK.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, I might take you up on that.
3: Yeah, OK. Yeah, great. Very cool. Thank you.
1: Well, uh, were there any other questions, Dick, that I did forgot to answer, ask or anything that you wanted to tell us? That I haven't asked you already about the DMT Ooh, tell or the experiences. What,
3: there was there was one question that you'd asked that saw me go to a couple of friends who I knew would have a story to tell, mm. and it was the question about: uh, Do you know anyone who has ever been endangered by their DMT experiences? So I mean, if you've got time, we can. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Let me just. Okay. So there'll be no names mentioned, but this one is a a friend of a friend story. So a friend of a friend had a horror trip one night. He'd drunk a lot of alcohol and ignored his friend's advice to leave the DMT alone for a night when he he wasn't in a drunken stupor. So um, he'd actually gatecrashed my friend's Friday night. My friend was all set up for his own deep solo journeys with DMT. Anyway, long story short is the, um, the inebriated uh, individual had uh, a DMT trip that really freaked him out and he's never been the same since. He never goes out, apart from going to work. He rarely answers the phone and he's avoided numerous invitations um, by his friend for a visit, including an invitation for, for Christmas dinner uh, last year, you know, just gone, which he said he would attend. So he's told his friends that he's had part of his soul stolen and replaced by something dark, and he's not himself anymore. So my friend has told him to fix it by, by going in again, going go to the DMT realm again, and using the power of intention to, uh, to fix the problem. But he, he won't dare to do it. Um, becomes pale white whenever the matter's mentioned. And he's not said what happened in any depth, but whatever it was, and I quote it scared the fuck out of him in a big way. Um, And on occasions when this adversely affected individual has has visited his friend's house where this happened, and he he smells, you know, the DMT smell, he immediately about turns and leaves, and that night was approximately five years ago. So, you know, I think the moral of that story is, you know, don't be pursuing DMT when you're in a drunken state. Hmm. It's a substance that demands the utmost care and respect and then um, this is um, another friend in London who he'd, um, he'd snorted 130 milligrams of free base DMT. Wow. Uh, yeah. And um, the police had kicked his door in because his neighbour had reported screaming. And when he came around, the police were kneeling over him, telling him everything was OK. But him having no idea how they'd gotten into his flat, he just assumed the policemen were part of the trip. Um, it actually crashed, my friend had crashed into a full-length mirror and had vomited, so he was lying in a, a pool of his own blood and vomit. And the police were asking him what had happened, and he, he wouldn't answer. And eventually he asked the police officers to show him the, the forced door so he could believe that they were real. He still didn't think these police officers were real. And the officers said they couldn't move him because the, uh, the ambulance was on its way. Anyway, he struggled, uh, but to no avail. And eventually one of the officers got the idea to... Photograph the door and, and show him the door had been kicked in and, and that calmed him down. And the ambulance came and checked him over and finding only superficial cuts on his arms, you know, they all left, the ambulance crew and the police officers left. And, and the police took the DMT away, took it from him and he confiscated it for his own safety. And he says that the DMT experience was the, the universe and language trying to form, but instantly collapsing on themselves. And uh, my friend says it may not sound like much but at the time it was truly hellish so uh, yeah, I... I thought it was a funny story you know you, there's two policemen kneeling over you and uh, you think they're part of the trip <laughs> so <laughs> that is fine. I, d- I don't want an experience like that
1: i can understand that yeah <laughs> yeah i could definitely put back your research project indeed <laughs> well dick it's been really good talking to you and yeah. uh, i really appreciate you spending this time with us the spectral skull session and uh, I wish you the best with all your research. Thank you. I'm you looking more. forward to seeing y- your next book and uh, hopefully having you on the show again so you can let us know what new insights you've had into the DMT entities.
3: Thank you, I've really enjoyed the interview. So thank you. If I can quickly say um, a quick thank you to everyone who has um, purchased DMT and My Cult Mind, whether it's DMT and My Cult Mind Light or DMT and My Cult Mind 2, I'm really grateful. Um, I'm especially grateful for anybody and everybody who's left, left positive comments. As a self-published author, I have to do all my own marketing, so those those positive comments, they're, they're really uh, you know, favorable to me and really well received, and uh, I'm really grateful. That's wonderful. Thank you. Have a good afternoon. You too. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. And
1: that's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening, everyone, and Tune in next week.